when generating great compassion or bodhicitta, the enemy we have to be careful of is anger. So anger is great friends with self-centered thought. They're very close buddies. But anger takes on a specific function and based on exaggerating negativities and projecting negativities that aren't there and wants to harm the object or get away from the object. And so clearly when anger is in the mind towards a sentient being, compassion can't be in the mind at the same time. Because anger wants to harm, compassion wants that sentient being to be free from harm. So the two are contradictory, you can't have them at the same time. So on the bodhisattva path, we have to be quite careful of anger. And even as a regular human being wanting to have a happy life, we have to be attentive to anger. Sanger has the possibility to destroy trust, merit, harmony, you name it. So it's important for us to realize the disadvantages of anger and exactly how anger is an incorrect mind and then not indulge in it. And so wanting ourselves to be happy, we know that having an affectionate mind towards others is the way to create that happiness. So we remember their kindness, how we're dependent on them, and thereby generate a positive regard, so positive that we're willing to do everything necessary to become a fully enlightened Buddha in order to repay their kindness and help them to be free of suffering. So we generate that mind now. So we often, we talk of the three poisonous minds, ignorance, anger, and attachment. And we talk of the three principal aspects of the path, renunciation, or the determination to be free, bodhicitta, and the wisdom, realizing emptiness, the correct view. So while we, while each, all three poisonous attitudes are involved with all, with becoming hindrances to all three of the three principal aspects of the path, there are also special correlations where, you know, one is kind of plays the principal role in in being the problem maker. Okay, so when we're trying to to generate renunciation or the determination to be free, while all three poisonous attitudes get in the way, what's the principal one that causes problems? Attachment. Okay, because as long as we have attachment for the happiness of this life, we're not going to be able to really create the cause for future life's happiness. As long as we have attachment to being born anywhere in samsara, 
it's going to be difficult for our determination to be free, to be really pure. Because instead we'll kind of want half-half. And then for generating bodhicitta, although all three cause problems, the principal one is anger, okay? Because bodhicitta has this positive regard towards others, and anger is completely the opposite. Towards generating the correct view of reality, then the, the big obstacle is all three, but principally ignorance because ignorance apprehends things in the totally opposite way than the correct view of emptiness does. Okay? So, you know, when coming back to bodhicitta and our topic of the Course, Great Compassion, we can really see what a big problem uh, anger causes. Okay? And, uh, And that's why in our bodhisattva vows, no, one of the root vows is giving up love for sentient beings. Another one is losing uh, our bodhicitta. And so what is it that makes us give up love? Oh, I'm sorry, that's a tantric vow. Um, what is it that makes us give, give up love or to relinquish bodhicitta? It's primarily anger, isn't it? You know, all the other sentient beings are fine. This one, incorrigible, they are out of my compassion and love and bodhicitta, and I will get enlightened for everybody but them. (laughs) If we do that, there's no way for us to get enlightened. Okay, so we're shooting ourselves in the foot because bodhicitta is based on great love and great compassion for each and every sentient being, excluding none. That also means excluding ourselves, which means if you hate yourself, you can't generate bodhicitta either. Okay? So pay attention to that one. So we have to to really be very careful about anger. Anger comes in all different kinds of packages and ways, um, from being irritated and annoyed know, to being frustrated, judgmental, spiteful, vengeful, enraged, wrathful, okay, resentful, you know, on and on. All these kinds of uh, attitudes or emotions that have the common characteristic of being based on exaggerating negative qualities or projecting negative qualities that aren't there and then wanting to clobber or get away from whoever we see as impinging on our well-being. So in the same way that attachment does, anger, you can see so clearly how both of them are based on reifying the object the object of attachment, the object of anger. Whatever we see that we either have strong desire for or strong hatred for, we've made into some very solid, concrete thing. Now, our mind has become exceedingly narrow. In the case of attachment, this object, person, idea, place, situation is only good, you know, 
there's no possibility for it to have any faults. With anger, and I'm using anger as the big word that includes all those emotions I just listed, there it is, this object, person, idea, place, whatever, is inherently from its own side awful. There is absolutely, positively nothing even neutral about it. Okay? So you can see how exaggerated that mind is, how limited that mind is, how concrete that mind is. You know? To say somebody has only good qualities, we're talking about regular sentient beings here, or only bad qualities, nothing else, that's not very realistic, is it? Okay. We, when we're calm, we can see that's not realistic. If you think of somebody who really hurt you very badly, have you always had negative feelings towards that person? No, sometimes that was the person you had the most positive feelings for. So there you see how when you exaggerate with attachment, you're setting yourself up to exaggerate with anger. Because, you know, the two of them go very much together. But you can see how those minds are so, um, so limited, thinking that, you know, how I see this person right now is the correct view and it's the sum total of their entire life. You know, if I'm mad at somebody, there's absolutely no redeeming quality in them. The sum total, the sum value of their life is this harmful action that they did towards me. You know, forget everything else. It's only this negative action. And therefore, you know, irredeemable. Get rid of them. So in our own mind, we have, you know, not only our own judge and jury, that's, of course, on our side against the other person. But we also have a firing squad. Yeah. And we shoot at the object of our anger in our mind. Not, not with real things. But we continually criticize them, don't we? Yeah. We can't just see a negative quality and leave it be. We have to remember it again and again. They do this. They do that. They do. And look, and can you believe and this? and this and this and this and we fire our judgmental bullets at them one right after the other you know hoping to kill them but what happens is the more we time we spend you know uh, indicting the person prosecuting them and executing them the stronger influence they have in our mind the more they take over our mind have you noticed that when you're really stuck in anger and you spend so much time being angry at that person that person has completely taken over our mind of course when I say that person has taken over our mind it has nothing to do with that person that person's off living their life yeah, We have created a monster in our mind and confused it with that person. And then, you know, come back and keep on trying to assassinate that monster we created, thinking that it's the other person. 
And in that way, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger in our whole mind. And so some people, as they go through life, accumulate more and more monsters like this until they get to old age and they're miserable because their own hatred and grudges completely consume them. Have you met some older people like that? Yeah. Sometimes we even see younger people like that. Yeah. Where hatred is the only way they know how to relate because often because they've never seen anything else in their upbringing. They don't know any other way, which is a real tragedy. Okay? But for us to become like that, you know, when we know that there's an alternative, that's also a real tragedy, isn't it? Okay. So to let something that happened in the past completely control our mind, even today, that's excellent self-punishment. <laughs> you know, the best way to torture yourself, hold on to something from the past. Great self-torture. The other person isn't even there. But we recite our litany daily. Just like we recite praises to the Buddha every day. Then we also recite insults to the hated one every day. You are this, you are that, you are the uncomparable stupid one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, But this is all coming in our mind, completely coming from our mind. It doesn't have anything to do with the other person because any other person has some good qualities and some faults. Unless, of course, they're a Buddha, then they have only good qualities. But, you know, to to think that somebody has no good qualities at all is really too extreme. And like I was saying the other day, sometimes we just change situations and the person who we didn't trust, who was our enemy, becomes the one we rely on and we trust. And as you know, people know from, from divorce court, the person that you love and trust one year, the person you don't speak to the next. So all of this is totally exaggerated on our part. I think it's much more realistic to see other beings as sentient beings, which means they have some good qualities, they have the Buddha nature, they have a lot of potential, and they're also strongly influenced by ignorance, anger, and attachment. Yeah, They've been kind to us, and they've also sometimes been overwhelmed by their afflictions and harmed us. Both things exist together, not at the same moment, you know, but even if we look at our own minds, we have opposite emotions at different times. We do completely different kinds of actions at different times, don't we? Yet we don't want anybody else to look at us and create a cardboard image of us and then shoot at it all day and think that, you know, we're only the, the sum total of one mistake we made in our life. Or even the sum total of some mistake that we didn't make, but they completely made up. Yeah. 
that happens all the time too. Okay? So you have to be very, very careful about this because anger is extremely pernicious, you know. And actually the person who is most hurt by our anger is not the person we're angry at but ourselves. If you want to destroy the merit that you create with great difficulty, get angry. Yeah. If you want to keep yourself from having a, a good future life, get angry and destroy the merit for a good future life. If you want to keep yourself from attaining liberation and enlightenment, get angry. Great way to keep from actualizing our spiritual goals. Yeah. So one thing I found very helpful is when I get angry at somebody to say, am I willing to give up liberation in order to continue remaining angry at them? Yeah? It's my choice. Is this person, you know, is this person fitting to give up liberation for? You know, what a stupid question. Yeah. <laughs> of course not. Of course not. So if I'm not willing to give up liberation and enlightenment for the sake of hating this person, then why do I spend so much time hating them? Just drop it. Now sometimes people say, but I can't drop it. My mind keeps coming back to it. I can't drop it. So what I've noticed is... um, and here I'm, I'm not talking about something like PTSD, like in a war situation, okay? But I, I'm talking about how, you know, somebody has hurt us and we, you know, make it so concrete and our, our self-centered thought gets very entwined with this and we give away our power in the sense that we say, I will not forgive them. I will not let go of this anger until they apologize. Okay? I want an apology. I deserve an apology. I was right. They were wrong. They projected stuff that wasn't true. I need and deserve an apology, and I'm not going to be ang- give up my anger until I get one. Because if I do give up my anger, it's the same as saying that they're right, and therefore leaving myself open to be stepped all over, manipulated, and abused in the future. Is that what the argument of the self-centered thought? Yeah, that's exactly what self-centered thought says, Okay. So I've got to stick up for myself. And my anger is my great protector. Yeah. I don't take... The Buddha is no longer my protector. The Dharma is no longer my protector. My anger is going to prevent me from getting hurt. Okay? This is the case the self-centered mind makes. Is it true? Does our anger prevent us from getting hurt? No. It causes the hurt, doesn't it? First of all, it causes it karmically because by being angry and doing harmful actions towards others, we're creating the karma to receive hurt ourselves. But also, just by maintaining the anger, we're preventing happiness in our own mind. 
because you can't be happy and angry at the same time. Yeah. Whenever we're angry, there's an associated mental factor of unhappiness. Can't have the happiness and anger at the same time. Okay, so we're making ourselves unhappy and we're digging ourselves into a ditch and creating a very strong identity of I am the person abused by da-da-da. Or I am the person unappreciated by da-da-da. I am the person underpaid by da-da. I am the person unloved by uh. I am the person uh, who is harmed by mm. You know? And we create a very strong identity. And then that identity puts us in a nice concrete box that then we spend the rest of our life banging against trying to get out. And yet, if there's a door to go out, we won't go anywhere near that door. Because we stay in our concrete, self-constructed torture chamber of anger, making it a very strong identity. What do you think? Is this your experience? Yeah? My experience. Yeah? I find it, as, as you speak, I keep thinking, yeah, you're right about that, you're right about that, and then I keep coming back to things that have made me angry, and I'm still cycling, I'm sitting here cycling. Them. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> right! Yeah, you're right, anger has all this faults, it creates all this problem, it's totally right, but this person is worthy to be angry at. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. And we hold on to that as, as an identity. You know? And we think that our anger is going to protect us. So I find, you know, in, in deconstructing my own anger, okay, the, the kinds of things I have to do around this are, for example, I, I, I go to the anger and I say, anger, what would make you happy? <laughs> what would make you happy? You know, you, you're needing something in order to be able to dissolve and, you know, be subdued. What would be able to dissolve you and make you subdued? So my anger, you know, responds, well, I need an apology. And it would be so nice if that person came to me preferably on their hands and knees, <laughs> preferably sobbing with regret, <laughs> and made three prostrations, bowed down, and totally, sincerely, with so much meaning, confessed to how horribly they treated me without my having deserved even one atom of it, you know. I just, and if they grovel on the ground and moan and groan and beat their chest and apologize again and again and again, that would be really lovely. <laughs> you know? That would be so nice. And then if they went on and on about how much they understood that I hurt and how kind I had been to them and how they hurt me unnecessarily and how much pain I've been experiencing, unbearable pain for so long due to what they did. 
you know, if they just ex really, you know, confess from the bottom of the heart about how they don't appreciate me and they don't listen to me and they don't, they take me for granted and they humiliate me and they do everything wrong. If they'd only do all of that, then <laughs> I, I could, you know, maybe let go of my anger. <laughs> okay. So I play this whole scene out in my, in my mind because anger is an exaggerated mental factor, so, you know, it has this whole scene behind it. So I play the whole scene out, and then I go, yeah, <laughs> and, and, then, you know, and then I just see that, you know, I'm writing this incredible, you know, drama in my mind that's actually rather hilarious, you know, it's really pretty hilarious. And then, you know, to think that, that I'm not going to forgive this person unless this whole drama unfolds. Like, when is that going to happen? <laughs> yeah. And why do I need them to acknowledge my pain? Why do I need them to acknowledge my pain? The only reason I can come up with is it would be nice. <laughs> But uh, besides that, why do I need them to acknowledge how much I've suffered due to them? I know how much I've suffered. I've recited it as my daily recitation. Why do I need somebody else to recite my daily recitation? What good is that going to do me? So, so I ask myself these kind of questions. Yeah. And then, then I you know, can begin to see, wow, this is... You know, I'm giving away my power when I expect somebody else to acknowledge my pain and apologize. I'm giving away my power in the sense that I'm saying, I'm going to be miserable with my anger until they do this apology and this such and such. Which means I have no power in the situation because how can I make them do what I want them to do so I'm really giving away my power I'm really making myself into a victim here and where's that going to get me nowhere it's ridiculous and then I, I think of this ver the, the verse about you know accept defeat and give the victory to them and that's kind of what's happening here. It's like, okay, just swallow it, children, and go on. You know, just drop it. Not swallow it and keep it ruminating in your belly, you know, causing you ulcers. But, you know, it goes right through. Um, <laughs> okay, right through. But just like, plunk it and like, let's get on with, with something that's more meaningful and beneficial in my life. So I think even for very, very severe hurts, you know, and abusive situations and so on, you know, thinking like this can be really good to help us just release what we're clinging on to. Yeah? Because we see the fallacy in anger's argument about why it's important 
to hold on to it. Okay, so there's one more part in here, is that anger says, if I give up and I don't remain angry, then it's tantamount to saying what the other person did was okay. Is that true? It's not true, is it? It's anger's argument. And we believe anger's argument without any discriminating awareness. But we should challenge anger's argument. You get on the debate card, debate court, and you debate with anger. Yeah. Anger says, I should never forgive because it's tantamount to saying the, what the other person did was right. Okay. Is it tantamount to saying they're right? No. Yeah. Forgiving doesn't mean you say what somebody did is right and it's okay and they can do it again. Forgiving simply means that we're tired of being angry about it. We can certainly say what they did was inappropriate. What they did was harmful. That's fine. But we don't need to hold on to it and continue on with our court case and our firing squad. Yeah. And what I find exceedingly beneficial here is what they did was inappropriate and harmful. Therefore, I have to be very careful not to do that to somebody else because that really switches it around. Because as long as I see them as the evil one and myself as incapable of doing what they did, then I'm putting myself up here. You know, I'm the holy one. I would never hurt somebody like that. Oh, yeah? I don't have anger, spite, negativity, bias, prejudice, and hatred in myself? Unfortunately, all those things are alive and well in me. So I have to be very careful that my mind doesn't get so twisted that I act in that way to somebody else. Okay? When I think like that, then that really helps to let it go. Because yeah. then it's no longer them, 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 them. You know, It's, okay, I've got to learn something really important from this. And then, you, then sometimes anger says, or self-centeredness says, well, I would never do that anyway, this horrible thing that they did to me. And then you reply, do you know what you did in your pre previous lives? Yeah. Because they say that we've done everything in our previous lives. Do we know what kind of har horrible karma we've created in our previous lives? Do we have any idea of that? Can we say never in our previous lives we've never done anything like Adolf Hitler or Joseph Stalin or Mao Zedong or, you know, can we say with certainty that, certainty that never, ever, ever in my, any of my previous lives that I, that I never did that kind of horrible thing? We can't say that, you know. As long as those mental factors are in our mind, we aren't safe from acting them out. You know, we may not be in the same situations as that person. We may not have had the same conditioning in this life as that person. Okay. But just put us in a different situation, and who knows what this afflicted mind will do. So I can't put myself above anybody. Uh, so therefore, when I do 35 Buddhas and, or Vajrasattva, and I'm confessing things, I also confess any time in my previous life when I've done this kind of thing to anybody. Mm -hmm. And then the light bulb goes on of, oh, 
well, maybe that's why this is happening to me in this life, because I did do that to somebody in a previous life. <laughs> okay, guess I better do some more prostrations than I had planned to. Yeah, because i got to clean this up. Got to clean this up and make sure I never do this to anybody again. Okay? So in that way, something that was a harmful situation that caused us great pain eventually gets transformed into something that nourishes our practice and feeds our purification and strengthens our determination to be free of cyclic existence so that we will never do that again to anybody. Okay? So this is, you know, you have to really work with the angry mind and the self-centered mind. Not just, like, let it present its argument and say, you know, defense rests, you know. We have to go back and challenge all of its arguments. And then when we do, we can really see how wrong, you know, it is. And, and then that enables us just to put it down. Just put it down, you know. Keeps on reminding me of that, that um, game hot potato, you know. If, something, if you're holding a hot potato and it's burning your hands, you don't keep holding it. You go like that. So if you have someone in your life that's like has the, uh, that propensity to for anger or is often hostile, how can you? Well, in my mind, I always almost think of it as it's mathematical equation. You know, me plus them equals this explosive situation, and so I just remove myself from the situation. But how can we helpfully put it down without it being urgent? Okay, (laughs) so when there's somebody in your life that you find yourself in perpetual uh, conflict with, you know, where you think of it as a mathematical equation, you know, (laughs) or or like, you know, hydrogen plus oxygen equals water, it's me and you and boom, (laughs) yeah, okay. Um, I think for, for me, you know, with that kind of thing, is to really remember that that person hasn't always been who they are today. Yeah? That person was once a baby. Yeah? And whenever you see any baby, babies are adorable, aren't they? Yeah? That person was once a baby. Yeah? And once a little toddler. They, they didn't come out of their womb like that. They came out cute and adorable. And if I had met them at that time, I would have, you know, hugged them and played with them and done all sorts of nice things. And when they age, you know, then I imagine them at, you know, 90 years old and with their aches and pains and declining physical health, the mind not working so well, you know, approaching death and the suffering of death. And how can I hate somebody who is in that state, who is afraid of death and approaching death and has negative karma, how can I hold something against that person? 
So it helps me very much to see that who I, you know, my concrete image of that person isn't who they always have been and won't be who they always will be. And then I do exactly the opposite of what I want to do, which is I try and be nice to them. And it's painful at the beginning. (laughs) Oh, they're so horrible. They're so dreadful. I can't be nice. I just want to hiss and growl. (laughs) And then I realize, well, I've been hissing and growling at them a a long time. No wonder we don't get along. (laughs) Yeah, no matter what they're doing, as long as I'm hissing and growling, we're not going to get along. Okay, so maybe I gotta try doing something else. Uh-huh. Like smiling and saying good morning. Like offering to do something nice for them. Not where I get super involved in their life and complicated and dragged into their life. Not like that. But just small things. Very small things that are a one time thing where you, you know you, there's no obligation after. Kind word, a smile, you know, take out the garbage, point out something nice that they did. Yeah. And sometimes even give them a present. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to give them a present. You know, we have this this practice um, in our in our sadhanas and the daily deity practices of offering tormas. So you offer tormas to a torma uh, is like a cake, okay? So you offer tormas to the Buddhas and Bodhisattvas and imagine that they experience infinite bliss. And you also offer tormas to the spirits and the hungry ghosts and all kinds of, you know, beings, non-human beings who could potentially harm, whether you believe that they exist or not. I mean, you could also see these psychological you know things, but you offer them a gift, uh, and and um, you know, and imagine them being completely satisfied by this. So I remember <laughs> you were there in <laughs> Life as a Western Buddhist Nun. The co-organizer and I were just like you said. Um, <laughs> and you remember? Yeah, it was bad. <laughs> Of course, Mary Grace was on my side. <laughs> That's why she's my friend. <laughs> you know, if she were on this other person's side, uh, I might not be talking to her. <laughs> joking. <laughs> okay. But, uh, you know, we didn't get along at all. And, and the thing was, in our ordination order, we had to sit next to each other. <laughs> so we were not only working together, but in teachings we sat next to each other. And one day somebody gave me a chocolate bar, and I just thought, okay, I'm going to, this is my torment that I'm going to offer to her as a chocolate, you know, and give her a present. And I gave her this chocolate bar. I don't know that anything so much changed in her behavior or whatever, but from my side, you know, it was like I, I had to nudge myself to get myself unstuck. And so to try and go out of your way, do, do something nice for the person. 
And remember, you're doing it, it's not like you expect them to instantly change their way of acting towards you, but it, we're doing it for ourselves too, to, to release the force of our negativity. Because as long as we hold that negativity, the relationship is going to remain the same. Yeah. If we start changing our negativity, then, you know, things have to change one way or another. Okay. Yeah? Yeah, and you described that, and I sort of visualized, you know, one person had a little difficulty at work, and, you know, trying to do that sort of thing. Um, that, boy, this just seems like the perfect, there is self-centered attitude, so loud and clear, saying, oh, you can't do that, you'd lose face, you know, <laughs> you'd be like saying, I don't have a problem with your behavior. Mm-hmm. I just think that's just a great way to get that self-centered attitude so visible. Yeah, yeah. it not it? It's so visible then. It's like, you know, I've got to be mean to communicate <laughs> to them that their behavior is unsatisfactory, you know. And if I'm not mean, then they're going to think their behavior is okay, you know. But the thing is, then we start looking, why are they acting la- that way to start with? You know, are they happy? Is somebody who acts that way happy? No, they aren't. They wouldn't, if they were happy, if they were a happy person, they wouldn't be acting that way. It's because they're quite unhappy. So if I did something nice for somebody who's unhappy, it's a good deed, isn't it? Yeah. No matter how they react. No matter how they react. I'm not looking for, I'm not trying to manipulate them by giving them a present. I'm just doing it because it's a good thing to do. You had something? Yeah, I had a question about purifying air because it's so omnipresent and it happens all the time. So I'm doing the purification practices, 35 Buddhas with Vajrasattva. I understand the importance of looking at each particular incident. And then I, I may be off on this, but sometimes I just feel like my day has been <laughs> just clouded with anger and it's very hard. I probably don't have the time to go through the specificity of each particular person. (laughs) (laughs) And so I just kind of do a blanket with deep regret for my anger. I am sick of it. I am so, you know, I just, so sometimes I just do that. I don't know if it has yeah. effect or what. Okay. So you're saying that, that, you, that you see the importance of noting every single act of anger, but sometimes it's like too much at the end of the day. <laughs> you need another 18 hours to, <laughs> to list them all. Yeah. So, so then you do kind of a blanket confession and purification and that's fine you know because you are sincerely regretful and that's the important thing you know you are sincerely regretful so you you purify all of them together and make a determination to try to be better the next day I work with a surgeon who's the most one of the more disagreeable people I've ever met and uh, Sometimes you get the feeling that her goal in coming in is to go through everything to find what she's going to criticize today. And she never leaves without making her criticism. There has to be something every time. 
and everybody has this experience, but they finally decided it's not just me. And so I decided I had a goal. Mm -hmm. So I, I qualify for retirement in three years. Now I can't retire until I get a big toothy grin from her. This <laughs> 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 is several years now, and it hurts. <laughs> Making some progress. I have a progress to report. Yeah, good, good. Yep, yep. That's what you do. Now, some way, I'll find a way to get that person to smile. So venerable. Given um, that I'm not the only person who experiences frustration, irritation, judgment, etc., in the course of every single day, here's this teaching that. A moment of anger yeah. destroys all the air. And I don't know how to hold that. I mean, it just seems like... What hope is there? Like, how have I ever accumulate any merit? Well, I mean, I know that I can dedicate it, but what about all the times I don't even think to dedicate it? Yeah. Or then at the end of the day, I think, <gasps> everything good I did today, I dedicate. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so given, you know, that there's a teaching about how even a moment of anger destroys so much merit, how are we ever going to get anywhere? That, that teaching is very specific in terms of getting angry at bodhisattvas. Yeah, and it doesn't, and it isn't that a moment of anger destroys all your merit. It destroys a certain amount of merit according to the level of realization of that bodhisattva. Of course, we don't know who's a bodhisattva and who isn't. Okay, And that doesn't mean it's okay and you don't accumulate any negativity getting angry at everybody who's not a bodhisattva. Okay, yeah. But it's, you know, it's not that one moment of anger towards anybody destroys all merit completely. It's not that. It's going to depend on who you get angry at, for how long, what the circumstances were, how strong your anger was, whether you acted it out or not. Yeah, so it's not that all the same anger is, you know, the same intensity. If you regret it or not, sometimes you're even regretting it as you're doing something. Yeah. So, uh, but it is a good warning about... You know, don't indulge in anger because it doesn't help us at all. You know, it's not worth it. Yeah. I'm just going to ask, I think I, I could be the only one that feels this way, but I'd imagine not, that, that anger, when you express anger towards someone, it carries a certain power behind it so that they understand you're serious. Mm -hmm. um, an example I thought was, we were right, we have a motorcycle in Thailand, we don't have a car. And Ryder did something on it, and I was not pleased with how he was driving. I felt like my life was in danger. And uh, I wanted to communicate very clearly to him that I was not okay with what had just happened. You know, so you feel like if you express <coughs> anger, then they'll really see that you mean it, right? Um, <laughs> like you're really not okay with this. <laughs> or in any situation, you're still, uh, it doesn't matter who. So I was going to give you tips for a way to effectively communicate something strongly. Well, because it's very easy to get defensive when someone's expressing something to you like that. Ways to talk to people that, that is not an angry way, but that can also help 
maybe that person be a little open to hear what you're saying and you also not being defensive when they respond the way that they do. Because you have know, a fairy tale in our head that like, oh, it'll be easy. We'll just say, you know, it'll be hard for me. And they'll be like, oh, gee, I'm sorry. But then you start to get mad and it's yeah. Okay. So communicating. Mm-hmm. If somebody did something that was potentially dangerous or damaging, and you mean business, it, what you're yeah. saying is yeah. is serious. Okay. So, first of all, we have to differentiate between being angry and speaking strongly, because they're two different things. We can be angry. And speak strongly, we can be angry and not speak strongly. Some of us shut down when we're angry. We don't speak at all. Okay? We can be, you know, have a balanced mind and not speak strongly. And we can also have a balanced mind and speak strongly. And so I think all of us, in some way or another, we can see when somebody... Well, we're not always so good at this, but hopefully we should get better, to see when somebody is speaking strongly and when somebody's angry. Because strong words don't always indicate anger. Yeah. Sometimes when we're really prickly, even pleasant words indicate anger. Our mind gets so defensive. Okay. But So we've got to work on it ourselves to realize that somebody speaking strongly does not necessarily mean they're angry. Yeah. But... Sometimes I think there's a way in which you can speak strongly where you're not angry, but there's a a way of using your body language or your voice or something to really let the other person know that this is important to you. Yeah, But it doesn't have the same vibe as anger. Because anger has a certain vibe. I mean, anger, there's this going on. Yeah, strong words. It's like, don't do that. Okay, so that's the best I can think of. Yeah, yeah. Well, it seems like in that situation, I'm thinking two things. Um, one is I, I find it hard to, after the situation, uh, well, I was in a little situation and, and the response was as if I had been angry. Because mm-hmm. really got lambasted. But oh, yeah. I really felt that I was speaking pretty evenly but strongly, it was important to convey something. Mm-hmm. And so afterwards, I, I really didn't know how to assess, because I didn't have a video camera on. Mm-hmm. I didn't really know, mm-hmm. was, was I acting the way I thought I was and she just, you know, it just was problematic anyway? Or was it more loaded mm-hmm. than I thought, and, and was she? more correct. It's hard to to tell in those situations, yeah. Because sometimes we may not feel angry inside, but we have certain habitual behaviors that come across as angry to other people. So, you know, that that's where sometimes good friends can be helpful and point out to us that, you know, you may not have been angry and you may not be aware that this is how your voice sounds or this is what your body language is. You know, so good friends can help each other that way, giving them each other that kind of feedback. But I think sometimes the best thing is, you know, you you speak strongly, or maybe you just preface it with, this is something very serious, you know, and 
I want to convey the seriousness of that to you. So you just say it directly like that. Yeah. And so you express yourself. Sometimes what I've noticed is that the person gets upset, but something went in and sometime later they'll, they'll see it. Okay. But like I said, sometimes prefacing it with, you know, I know I'm going to speak strongly, but please listen to me because this is important. I just want to relate that I feel similar to that very often. I think um, uh, sometimes I don't even know when I'm angry because, you know, Venerable, you talk about this concrete box. Well, I certainly, you know, over the years have seen how I have put myself in this concrete box. And it's like my self-serving mind you know, I, I've trained it diligently, and very diligently through the years, diligent training, uh, intellectually, and built up this whole, you know, impenetrable concrete block, box that I put myself into. And there are times when I don't even know if I'm angry, or if it's, you know, something that I see, because, you know, I, I've spent a big part of my life just devoted to intellectually building up this box and being right. You know, um, the com- someone, I think you better will, may have made the comment, or I heard it in the discussion, I, I want to be right. Well, I've given up on that. <laughs> what I want to be and have dedicated my life to being is not being wrong. so the concrete box is around me and I'll argue with anybody from now till whatever and I'm pretty good at it and it's a liability I'm trying really hard trying to get out of that yeah so this, this person that you're thinking of if you can see them like that and have some compassion yeah, which is actually right on in this situation. Yeah, something. Well, it, this, um, this whole set of examples and questions brings up something that I wonder about, which is um, these cultural differences about communication. You know, like mm-hmm. when you said some people sound angry. Like in my family, everybody talked loud, everybody talked at once, everybody used their hands, everybody mixed it up, everybody stood pretty close to each other, you know, 20 in the kitchen reaching across, and, and, and I can see living here that that really disturbs some people, and, but it's, <laughs> I mean, possibly, <laughs> but at the same time, I can look at how they're doing it, and it seems so... It can seem, you know, very quiet and very distant and very careful. You know, so it, it's just this cultural thing that comes mm-hmm. up. How do we yeah. deal with that? Yeah. Do we just need to know it? Yeah, I just, I just think, you know, recognize the cultural differences and we see if somebody is easily offended because of the way they were brought up in a certain culture, we have to respect that if we want to communicate with them. I mean, they may be trying to change from their side, but from our side, you know, 
we can wait until the cows come home for them to change, or we can try and be more careful of how we express ourselves when we're with them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And on the other end, we can see that sometimes when people are noisier or um, more like that, that it could be the way they grew up. Mm-hmm. So they're also going to be trying to shift. Yeah. But it's tricky because... I don't know, that's kind of what standards are we using in our heads. Right. I guess that's it. That's the, yeah. We have to look at what standard am I using in my head. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was going to say that sometimes this is easier at work and, and not as easy with casual relationships, friendships, and like that. But what I have found helpful too is in terms of not having to express yourself with anger is developing a relationship based on mutual respect and trust, and then you don't have to go through the gesturing of, yes, I really mean it, wham, 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 you know, you know, there's just, there's a mutual respect there that develops and allows you just to be sincere and boom and, and move on. Mm-hmm. And it's easy in, in like professional life if you're, you know, sometimes, because you, you have some of that distance to do that. But um, that's helped me a lot in, in all the spheres of, of my relationships. Yeah. So if we take the time to create a good relationship, then when things come up, mm-hmm. it's easy to express what, what is important to us. Whereas if we haven't taken the time to, to take, create a good relationship or we haven't particularly pra- practiced respecting the other person, then when something comes up, there's nothing to sustain a good feeling in there. Yeah. I think for me, the other thing that's been helpful and important is that um, if I get irritated or you know activated by something, that the mind and especially the self-centeredness wants to deal with that and take care of it at that moment. And oftentimes that's the worst moment to step in and try and take care of it. Uh-huh. So to, to cool my jets and step back and wait until I have a calm mind and mm-hmm. then approach. Because there's nothing, hardly, that you have to, you know, resolve and deal with immediately. Mm-hmm. You, can, you can pace it. Yeah, yeah. It's very true. Give, give both people a chance to cool down. I just like to make a comment from a, an acupuncture perspective. Anger is related to the liver, the wood element. Yeah. And the the um, there's a concept of it being ruled by the general, the military general who's in charge, who's out there, who's got to fight, and so it has this protective mechanism that it's out there doing its job. Mm-hmm. And so that military leader is um, what just came up for me. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's anger's whole trip, is it's our best friend, it's going to protect us. At the same time, destroying all of our merit and destroying our relationships. <laughs> and our <laughs> Okay, we, ha- we have to stop now. I'm sorry. I realize a number of people have things they want to say. So let's just sit for a minute or two before we dedicate. So kind of... Uh, Come back to the important points of this discussion so that you can also keep them in mind in the next meditation session.